Good morning. Happy fall. I miss you guys. Feels like it's feels like feels like it's been a minute or two. Uh, if you uh, if you're new to New Life since like June, you probably have never seen me before. Uh, I didn't wander in off the streets. Please don't call security. I actually am a pastor here still. I think my keys still work this morning, so that was that was good. Man, it's good to it's good to be back with you guys. If you're not aware. Um, I had the, the privilege and blessing of a ministry sabbatical this summer. So a time just kind of a way uh, to reconnect with the Lord and my family. And it was, it was really, really awesome. And uh, I, I realize Sundays are about Jesus, not about Chris. But if it's okay with you guys, can I just take a couple of minutes and give you like a synopsis of, of the summer? Okay. Um, so before we left, I kind of mapped out some, some goals in three different areas uh, and my, my personal walk, my spiritual walk, and my, my family dynamics, and um, just kind of listed out some, some goals in each of those areas that I wanted to see, uh, maybe some, some more health um, before coming back. And uh, so, so I mapped out three books, uh, one that kind of hit all, one of each of those categories, kind of uh, personal, spiritual, and family. And so I don't know if you can see those very clearly or not, but the first book is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, by John Mark Comers, a, a pastor of a mega church, burned out, and then uh, wrote this book. And so, by far, my favorite of the three, but all three were super good. Uh, the second book is The Intentional Father by John Tyson. He's a pastor up in New York. It's really geared towards um, fathers who are raising sons in the Western world, but I think there are a lot of uh, nuggets that can apply even for moms or if you're a dad with a daughter. Some really good things. Very scripture saturated. So um, if you're a parent, uh, especially if you've got like elementary age, middle school, high school, uh, that's a great book to pick up. It's really short, easy read. And then the last one is uh, Spiritual Warfare by Dr. Carl Payne. Uh, was also su super awesome. Uh, and that, it was not even planned out that I was going to be reading that book at the same time that you guys were going through a Spiritual Warfare series here at church. So the Lord just kind of orchestrated all of those things. And it was incredible. Um, the, another thing that we did, we, we've always, Cheryl and I grew up overseas. We've traveled all over the world. But one thing we had never done, kind of a bucket list item for us, was uh, travel out west. We'd never been west of Texas. And uh, some of you are actually from out west or you've traveled out west, so you've kind of seen some of the things. And so we got to spend about two and a half weeks with our, our three kids just kind of traveling. And we rented a car, drove 3,000 miles from Denver to Las Vegas and back and hit up every uh, you know, national park we could find. So just a couple of photos to kind of give you a snapshot of what we were doing. So that's Delicate Arches in the Arches National Park in Utah. It was beautiful, stunning. Pictures don't do it justice. Uh, and then there's a picture of like just this awesome little crevasse that we found in one of the parks. And we thought, well, it would be cool if we got all of us, you know. And it was this really beautiful creation. Uh, next picture is a picture of uh, Sedona, which is just absolutely breathtaking out west. That was my wife's favorite spot. In fact, she wants to move there now. So you guys, you guys have a chat with her. And, um, and then we went to the Grand Canyon it really is grand. Like everybody always says, like you have to see it with your own eyes to believe it like pictures don't do it justice. Um, that is absolutely true. I mean, when we got there and we first walked to the South Rim and looked over that edge, I mean, it literally probably took me four or five minutes just for my eyes to kind of adjust to the contours and depths. And I mean, it was stunning. And I looked over and my wife has tears in her eyes. And man, just 
beautiful, just almost like a spontaneous moment to praise God for his creation. It was really um, incredible. So we had an awesome time out there with our family, making memories. Uh, Cheryl and I got to go without kids for a week, went up to Missouri for a Focus on the Family uh, marriage retreat, which was really awesome. Encourage all of you moms and dads who have uh, kids at home, man, find somebody to watch your kids and, and get away just as a couple. It's, it's just a really healthy rhythm. And so I had a great time up in Branson, Missouri, which is, you know, basically Gatlinburg with a lake. But um, it, we, had a re- we had a really good time. And uh, Cheryl learned a lot about how to love and serve me in better ways. And so it was a very, it was a very just kidding. We, bo- we both learned a lot. I'm just, just kidding. It was great. And uh, I also got three days in a, in a cabin of silence and solitude. Um, no Wi-Fi, no cell reception, which was a lot harder than I anticipated that it would be, uh, but was also awesome. Um, coming out of that experience. And so I'll share more uh, about that experience uh, in the days ahead, even even in the message today. Um, so man, it's, it was just really good. I was able to really reconnect with the Lord, reconnect with my family in super healthy ways. I feel like I'm able to re-enter ministry now in a healthy place instead of trying to uh, lead from a deficit, which I think is good for, for me and hopefully for you guys as well. So thank you so much for allowing us the, the time away. Thank you for your love and support. Thank you to our elder team who, uh, who love us enough and care enough about us uh, to send us away and make sure that we're uh, leading from a place of, of health. Well, enough about me, man. We are launching a brand new fall message series today called Rhythms, Reclaiming the Path of Abundance. Now, in many ways, uh, this series is birthed from some of the lessons that I learned this summer. Uh, many of the lessons were actually birth to some degree also to that first book, The Ruthless Elimination of, of Hurry. In fact, I'm going to make our staff read that book this fall. It was, it was so good. I want to read it again. Um, but, but man, just a, a really important stuff. I'm very excited about it. Let me give you the thesis of the whole series and, and really the big idea of today's message as well. This will be on the screens for you. Here it is. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the practices of Jesus. Let me say that again, because it sounds so simple, but in actuality, it's, many of us struggle to practice it. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the practices of Jesus. And, and I'm afraid for, for, for so many of us, even as followers of Christ, we, we desire in, in our hearts, in our minds, like we, we want the life of Jesus, like we want the intimacy Uh, with the Father that Jesus experienced. We want the power from the Holy Spirit that Jesus constantly displayed. We want the peace and love that just kind of oozed out of Jesus' life. Like we want all of those things in our lives, but here's the rub. We tend to want all of those things without living the way that he lived. And then a lot of us end up kind of disappointed in our faith walk. Some of us even disillusioned. Like, man, I've been following Jesus for like five years or 10 years or 20 years, and I really thought that I'd be further along, but I kind of feel like I'm just stuck in the mud and I'm spinning my wheels and I'm not really really getting anywhere. And maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe there's something wrong with God. Maybe there's something wrong with our relationship. And so we kind of end up in these really confusing, perplexing places in life. And I think there's a solution to it. Um, if I could illustrate just for a moment, um, I'm married into, uh, almost 20 years ago now, uh, a swimming family, okay? So I met my wife in college. She was uh, uh, on, on scholarship at our university as a swimmer, and so 
I would go to her swimming meets, and so I learned all about swimming. I never watched swimming before. And one of my brother-in-law, uh, he swam in the Sydney Olympics in 2000. And so, so since for the last 20 years, we've we've watched swimming, right? So we've, there's a big meet on TV. We watch it on TV, especially the Olympics, man. I've got really into it, man. I'm like total fanboy, you know. When the swimming stuff comes on in Olympics, and if you, if you've watched the Olympics over the course of the last 15, 20 years, you know that there's one name that kind of stands out above every other name in the swimming world. And this, this dude has just been dominant. You guys know who it is? Michael Phelps. Guy is, there's a picture of him right there, just crushing somebody's soul, right? I don't know who he beat there, but he, he, he was so good. And so the most decorated Olympic swimmer of all time, right? In fact, I think his last Olympics, he, uh, he, just, he just cleaned up. I think seven gold medals or something like that. So imagine if I came to you guys and said, hey guys, I came out of my sabbatical and one of my personal goals, um, and I, I kind of want you guys to hold me accountable, one of my personal goals over the course of the next year is to become a world-class swimmer. Some of y'all laughed out loud. <laughs> That's offensive. But let's just say that was one of my goals. Oh, man, I want to become a world-class swimmer over the course of the next year. In fact, next year, there are the pre-Olympic trials in Atlanta, and so I'm going to enter those. And so I'm going to train, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to achieve this. And in fact, I want my times to rival Michael Phelps' times. Like that, that's, that's my, some of y'all laughed again. Man, I just, so anyway, that's my goal. Now imagine that I said to you guys, that's my goal, become a world-class swimmer. And then over the course of the next year, I didn't change anything that I do. Like, I don't change my diet. I don't change my exercise routine. I, you know, just eat whatever I want. I go to the pool once a week, put some floaties on, splash around for 15 minutes, watch some Phelps YouTube videos, and then I enter the prelims next summer in Atlanta. What's going to happen to me in the pool? I'm going to get smashed, right? People are going to be laughing at me, right? I'm going to get destroyed. I'm going to be disappointed. Why? Because I wasn't willing to do what he did, so I couldn't get the results that he got. Right? I, I watched a documentary on, on Phelps not too long ago, and uh, man, it was he has a he had a whole team of like medical professionals and nutritionists and sports people and physiology, like all these different things, and they had him fine tuned to like the the nth degree, right? Like if, if the pool that he was swimming in and one location was two degrees colder than what it was back home, they would increase his, his calorie intake by X percentage. And man, it was, you know, they would measure his sleep down to the mid. It was, he was a fine-tuned swimming machine and he trained relentlessly to achieve his goals. But if I said I want to have his results, but I wasn't willing to do the things that he did, I would end up disappointed. And yet I think that's exactly what so many of us do in our walks with the Lord. We say, man, I want to, I want to be like Jesus and I want to experience the power that he had and I want to be close to the Father like he did and I want, to, I want to see all these things in my life and I want the fruits of the Spirit to be evident in my daily walk. But we don't do the things that he do and so we never experience a victorious Christian life and so we end up disappointed. Some of us end up disillusioned with our walk with Jesus because we aren't getting the results that we thought we would get. And so I want to go back to our big idea once more. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the habits or practices of Jesus. So that's what we're going to be talking about for the next five weeks. The habits of Jesus 
otherwise known as the spiritual disciplines. But before we jump in with both feet, would you pause with me and uh, let's go to God and just ask him to help us as we jump into his word this morning. Father, uh, we come to you and I think for most of us, our confession would simply have to be that, man, we're, we're living such hurried lives right now. For most of us, even walking into this room this morning, our, our minds are hurried, our, our souls are restless. We've got a million different things in our minds and a checklist a mile long. God, so I ask, man, even for the next half hour or so, would you, by the power of your spirit, would you calm our thought processes? Would you rest our souls long enough that we could hear the still, small voice of our Father who created us and loves us through your word, by the power of your spirit, so that we would walk out of here, men and women who are more like Jesus and more at rest. And I ask all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus, amen. All right, let's talk about what a spiritual discipline is. Uh, the, the reality is in the evangelical world today, uh, you could go to church for your whole life and never hear anything about the spiritual disciplines. So um, if you're anything like me, this has been kind of a, dis a journey uh, of discovery as we kind of dove into these things this summer, began to practice these things more systematically and regularly in my, my life. And so let's start with a definition of what a spiritual discipline is. And the best one I found comes from a guy named Dallas Willard, a philosopher, author, passed away about a decade ago, brilliant guy, wrote a great book on the spiritual disciplines if you want to go deeper. Um, this is his definition on the screens for you. The disciplines are activities of mind and body purposefully undertaken to bring our personality and total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. They enable us more and more to live in a power that is strictly speaking beyond us, deriving from the spiritual realm itself. That's good, isn't it? That's really good. Now, I'm, I'm not as smart as Willard. I can't remember that. So here, here's my stripped down, easy to remember definition. A spiritual discipline or a habit of Jesus is a pathway to access spiritual power. That's what a spiritual discipline is. It's a, it's a pathway to access spiritual power. Now, there's no standard, like one standard list of what the disciplines are. You, you can Google it and you'll find a million different lists. Some guys will list like six, other guys will list like 26. But again, the best list that I found so far comes from the same, it's the same author, Dallas Willard, and I'll put the disciplines or his disciplines on the screens for you. So he kind of breaks the disciplines down into two different categories. The disciplines of abstinence, so those were things that we would abstain from doing so that we might have a deeper connection with the Lord, all right? So that would be kind of one uh, area of of disciplines are the disciplines of abstinence. There's another category called the disciplines of engagement, and those are things or activities that we would engage in systematically on a regular basis so that we might grow in a deeper walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So we, we don't have, I would encourage, I can give you resources if you wanna go deeper. We don't have time to go through all of the spiritual disciplines in five weeks uh, for sure, but we are gonna unpack several over the next month. So we're gonna start today with the spiritual disciplines of silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. Now it's been said by more than a few church fathers that silence and solitude are the preeminent of all the disciplines. 
Now, as we go through the disciplines, I'll let you decide whether you agree or disagree with that statement. But one thing I am absolutely convinced of now more than ever is that our culture today, modern culture of high stress, fast paced, life on the go, anxiety riddled schedules that are packed to the max. Now, we are in desperate need of these disciplines as followers of Jesus, maybe, maybe more than we've ever been at any point in history. Because the reality is if there's, if there's one word that I think probably best encapsulates life in the modern world, perhaps it's the word hurry. Man, I bet, I bet a lot of you have sensed that even this week. Just the dark cloud of hurry and rush and anxiety and a checklist that is impossible to ever complete. And we are, in our culture today, we are all in a hurry and we're rushed to get the kids to school in the morning, to get to the office, to drop the kids off at soccer practice or band practice after school, right? We're running late for the doctor appointment, running behind for church again, right? Stuck in traffic, blood pressure rising. We are all living in this kind of low gray level of anxiety because we're all so hurried. We're rushed, we're busy, we're stressed to the max. We're running on fumes. There's a philosopher named Byung-Chul Han, who's a Korean philosopher, lives in Germany. As far as I know, not a, not a believer of, of Jesus, uh, but he astutely says this about most people living in the modern Western world. I'll put it on the screens for you. They are too alive to die and too dead to live. Man, and isn't that good? Haven't you sensed that to some degree in your own heart and soul? You're like, man, man I'm, I'm alive, like I'm breathing, my heart is, is pumping, but man, I'm... I am so stressed, I'm so busy, I have so much on my shoulders. I feel like I'm just going through the motions. I'm not actually living my life. My life is happening to me. I'm not actually living my life. Like I'm so stressed, I'm so busy. I'm, I'm, I'm in such a hurry that I can't even enjoy my relationship with the Lord who created me. I can't enjoy my relationships with other people that he's placed in my life, the things that he's given me. And so we're like dead people walking through this life. And the sad reality is for a lot of us, that's not a day, a week, a month, or even a year. For a lot of us, that's a lifetime. When God has so much more for his sons and his daughters, I'm convinced of. So let me just ask you, what what if there's a better way? Like what if there's another option outside of living life at kind of a breakneck speed, if you could opt out of all of that for something more simple, life-giving, non-soul-crushing, would you be interested in that alternative? I know I am. Welcome to the spiritual disciplines. Now quickly, before we jump in, let me just say, um, I think there can be some confusion even in the church world about what the disciplines are what they aren't. So I want to hopefully provide a little clarity on that before we jump in. So on the screens for you, I'm going to give you a list of what the disciplines are uh, as well as what the disciplines are not. Number one, the spiritual disciplines, otherwise known as the habits of Jesus, they are, they are regular habits. Okay, guys? So that, Now, this is important. It might seem simple, but, but, but the spiritual disciplines are not something that we do when the mood strikes us. Like, man, I, I'm listening to some, some Hill song on Spotify. I get goosebumps. I'm like, oh, man, now I'm going to fast. And now, now I'm going to practice some silent and silence and solitude. Now I'm going to serve the kingdom or whatever it is. Like, th- these are regular, systematic things that we build into, practices that we build into our life on a consistent basis, right? Not when the mood strikes us, not when we feel like we have time, because guess what? You're never going to feel like you have time. 
They're habits that we build into our life on a regular basis. Number two, we'll talk about this more later. They're, they are ways to, a way to break cycles in our life, particularly uh, patterns of, of sin or wrong thinking. And many of us are, are kind of bound up in some of these things. And I think one of the reasons is we have not learned how to practice the disciplines and therefore we're stuck in the cycles. We can't break them. Uh, number three, uh, spiritual disciplines are a way to draw near to God. Right? There's a promise uh, in the Bible, I think it's in James, where, where God says, uh, those who draw near to me, I'll draw near to them. So this is a promise. Like God desires nearness to his sons and his daughters. This is a pathway that allows us to experience his presence and his nearness in uh, real and fresh ways. And then, like I said, the last one just a minute ago, um, that they're also a way to access spiritual power. And I don't know about you, like I, I want the power of the Holy Spirit evident in my life. Not just on like random special occasions, like on a day-to-day -day basis as I interact with my spouse and as I parent my kids, as I help lead this congregation. Like I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I don't want it to be something that's way over here that I just touch on occasionally. I want his presence and his power just manifest all over my life at all times. Well, one of the ways that we get that in our lives is through the practice of the spiritual disciplines, the habits that Jesus left us, right? So the disciplines are, in essence, how we partner with God to see inner transformation. So God has his part in our sanctification process. We have our part, and we call that, with those two, the merging of those two things together, the spiritual disciplines. Now, I love the way John Mark Comer, pastor, the author of the first book that I showed you, says that he says, following Jesus isn't about trying really hard, but training really hard, and there is a difference. Following Jesus is not about just trying really hard, it's about training really hard. Going back to the swimming analogy. Like I can, I can want to be a great swimmer. Oh, I'm going to try. I'm going to manifest becoming a great swimmer. And then nothing happens and I'm disappointed. But if I begin to practice, if I begin to train, all of a sudden things begin to improve and my goals become more attainable. And don't take my word for it. Listen to the Apostle Paul. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 9 on the screens for you. Paul writes this. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race but only one receives the prize unless you're Gen Z and everybody gets a trophy, which is why y'all are so messed up. In my, in my day, second place was the first loser, by God. That's how, that's how we rolled. And apparently the Apostle Paul agrees with me. So uh, he continues on. He says, run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes, now this is important, tune in right here. Everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown or trophy, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now, what do you think the Apostle Paul is getting at here? I think what he's saying is, listen, if you guys want to run the race of becoming like Jesus well, learn to practice the disciplines. Learn to adopt the habits of Jesus in your life so you begin to get the results in your life that he experienced in his earthly life. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, practice the habits of Jesus. That's really simple. Now, guys, listen, not easy. In fact, it's very hard coming from personal experience. You probably would agree with me if you've been following Jesus for any length of time. It's not easy, but it is very simple. 
We tend to muddy the waters a lot as Christians, don't we, when it comes to following Jesus. It's not a complex issue. It's not a complex process. It's not, not easy, but it is simple. Now, let's get to silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. Now, you may be thinking, Chris, that sounds really boring. That sounds pretty lame. That sounds, in fact, something like maybe monks would have done back in the 1200s or something like that. Why would anybody want to be alone in silence? That sounds terrible. Where are my extroverts at in the room? Just go ahead and raise your hand if you're an extrovert. Like, I already know you're already, like, writing me off. When I said the word silence in solitude, you're already like, nope, I'm out. So let me, if you're an extrovert like my wife is, let me just invite you back to the table. Don't run away quite yet. I think there's something for all of us here. Um, I want us, here, here's the challenge. Whether you're introvert, extrovert, type A, type B, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram 3, 5, so whatever it is, wherever you are on the spectrum of personality and gift set and all that kind of stuff, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, I think this, we, we need to tune in and say, okay, regardless of how we're wired, what's the pattern that Jesus modeled for us, right? Like, like he, he, he lived out his life in a certain way with certain habits and patterns specifically so that his disciples would follow those things. So whether you're introvert, extrovert, whatever it is, these things are for you. They're for me. So if you have a copy of God's word, either in print or on an app, go ahead and go there. Open it up. Matthew chapter four. We're gonna bounce around in the gospels a little bit. We're gonna start there. And uh, let, me, let me just kind of set the stage for what we're going to be reading together in Matthew chapter 4. Um, Jesus is getting ready. Scholars believe he's probably around 30 years old. And um, he's getting ready to officially launch his earthly ministry. And so he, he goes down to the Jordan River and he finds his cousin, John the Baptizer, who's been doing ministry down there and baptizing hundreds, if not thousands of people. And he, he goes to John and he, he's like, John, it's time. I'm about to launch my earthly ministry and uh, I want, I'd like for you to disciple me. And so John pushes back a little bit and he's like, man, man I'm not worthy to do it. And Jesus is like, son, you're gonna baptize me. And so then John's like, okay, you're the savior of the world. You're the son of God. I'll do what you asked me to do. And so there's this breathtaking scene where, where John the baptizer is baptizing Jesus. And as he goes under the water and comes back up, there's this incredible scene where there's a dove. It's the Holy Spirit who's descending on Jesus. And there's like this audible voice from the father who says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And it is now officially go time. It is launch day for Jesus's earthly ministry. Now, if you're anything like me, if I were Jesus, I would be thinking, okay, this is the time I'm going to gather a huge crowd to teach. This is the time I'm going to do a couple of book signings. I'm going to drop a few new podcasts. I'm going to build a, a multi-million dollar mega church, mega plex. This is the time to do all of that. And yet Jesus does none of those things. Look at Matthew chapter four, starting in verse one, it says this, then Jesus, as soon as he was baptized, was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Huh. Isn't that odd? Now, interestingly, the Greek word there for wilderness is the word, and this will be on the screens for you, eremos. Now, that word can be translated desert, wilderness, solitary place, or a place of silence, quiet place. And the fascinating thing is as you read the New Testament, as particularly the Gospels, you're, you'll notice that Jesus has this very consistent and intimate relationship with the Eremos. 
He's constantly withdrawing from the noise and the chaos and the people and the crowds to a quiet place to commune with the Father. Now, now I, I've, I've always kind of found this, uh, this verse really interesting. It's been kind of perplexing to me, maybe to you as well. Like, why would the Holy Spirit on Jesus' ministry launch day take him into the wilderness all by himself where he doesn't have the, dis- the, the, the support of the disciples or his friends or his family. And by the way, Jesus is fasting for 40 days and 40 nights as he's being tempted by the evil one. I always wondered, like, why would the Holy Spirit take Jesus into a place of weakness for this moment? Like physical weakness and separated relationally from everybody? That doesn't make sense. Like, why would the Holy Spirit want to remove Jesus from all of his sources of strength? And then John Mark Comer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, points out, man, this is so, was such a revelation for me, that the Eremos was not a place of weakness for Jesus. It was actually his place of infinite strength. It was only in the silence and the solitude that Jesus was fully and finally prepared to clash with the evil one and crush him. It was only in the silence and solitude that he was so connected to his father that the enemy's temptations could have no sway on him at all. And this was not a one-time event for Jesus. If you read Mark chapter 1, it's basically like this highlight reel of Jesus' first day on the job, his first day uh, in ministry. Like he's preaching to these huge crowds and he's picking out his disciples and he's casting out demons and he's healing sick people. Jesus is quickly becoming a superstar in the area. Now conventional wisdom would say, Jesus, man, great first day on the job. That was incredible. We're all gonna be famous. So man, tomorrow, why don't, why don't you just sleep in? Go grab lunch at White Duck Taco, then go amen to that, and then, and then maybe go home and just binge maybe your favorite Netflix show. Just take it easy, relax. You had a great first day of ministry. What does Jesus do the next day? Look at Mark 135 on the screens for you. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up and went out and made his way to a deserted place at Ramos, and there he was praying. So get this, Jesus spends 40 days in silence and solitude, comes back for one single solitary day of intense ministry, and then retreats again to the Eremos. Now I say all of that to say this to you. Listen guys, if the Son of God, the Messiah of the world, God wrapped in human flesh, needed silence and solitude to fulfill his purpose how much more does your sin-infested, self-focused, anxiety-riddled, perpetually hurried, jacked-up heart and soul need it? I'll go ahead and give you the answer. A lot. Just like I do. Not a little bit, like not occasionally, not like a once-a-year spiritual retreat. Like You need it a lot, like often. Let me show you what, what I'm talking about. A couple more Jesus' story, like we'll move on. Luke 5. Luke 5, Jesus is famous, spreading. Crowds are growing. People want a piece of this Messiah because he's preaching with such authority and he's forgiving people's sins and he's healing their bodies. So Luke 5, 15 on the screen says this, but the news about him spread even more. Large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. Now tune in here. Yet he, read that next word with me. Often. Yet he often withdrew to 
deserted place, he would, that's the same Greek word, eremos, and prayed. Not seldomly, not when he was really stressed, not when things got really too, too much for him to bear on his own. He often, it was a regular habit, rhythm, and routine for Jesus to withdraw to the eremos and practice silence and solitude with his father. And again, this is not just something that he did when he faced a huge trial or tribulation. This was his pattern of life. One more, Mark chapter 6. Jesus has just sent his uh, disciples out on like this Navy SEAL type mission trip, right? And he's like, hey, don't take any money. Don't take a bag or, you know, like a, like a tent or anything. Just go, trust me. I want you to preach the gospel. You're going to cast out demons. You're going to heal people. And he breaks them up into two and he just sends them out. And they go and they obey Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit works in amazing ways and they preach the gospel and people come to faith, right? And they're casting out demons and they're healing people and they're so jacked up. They're so excited to come back to tell Jesus all that the Holy Spirit has done for them. And this is what happens in Mark 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus. They reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a remote place, the Eremos, and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Have you ever been there so busy you didn't even have time to eat? Or you forgot to eat, right? If you're a parent of a small child, you know exactly what Jesus is talking about there. Now, the, the interesting thing to me is Jesus doesn't seem nearly impressed with what the disciples did as they are impressed with what they just did themselves. Right? They're like, Jesus, you're not going to believe it. We preached the gospel. People responded. We got to baptize all these people. We cast out demons. We healed all these sick people. There was this paralyzed dude, and now he's walking. Man, it was incredible. And Jesus is just like, good. Didn't I tell you that's how, didn't I tell you how that's what it's, that was the way it's going to go? Now, I want, you to, I want you to push the envelope, and I want you to capitalize on momentum. Let's get that building campaign going here. No, none of that. He's like, listen, that's good. I told you that was going to happen. Now, come away by yourselves to the Eremos with me and rest for a while. Huh. This is so countercultural. And this so flies in the face of our type A, hurry, hurry, go, go, go. You can rest when you die, consumeristic, high achievement culture. And I just love that Jesus not only modeled this for us, but he invites his disciples into this rhythm of rest and restoration as well. So I think the question then becomes for us, it's like, okay, that's cool 2,000 years ago, but they didn't have Netflix or iPhone. And how, how do we practice silence and solitude in this crazy modern world that we live in? Because the reality is you may not have the wilderness right out your back door. You may not have a, a mountain uh, that you can walk to like Jesus did. How do you escape the rat race of your schedule that has no more margin at all? How do you escape the relentless buzzing and chiming of your iPhone? The constant noise of your favorite Spotify channel playing in the background or social media notifications or your favorite Netflix show that's just calling for your attention to come binge away even more hours of your life or your kids arguing in the room next door or your roommate or your spouse watching tv in the room next door like how do we find the time and place to practice these spiritual disciplines in the modern world well quickly let me just first say a word about silence because i think we can even be a little bit confused about what silence is silence is the act of closing off our souls from noise or sound that's what silence is 
the act of closing off our souls, not just our ears, but our souls from noise or sound, which means, guys, listen, it means finding a place that is truly quiet. Now, most of us, I found, myself included, are very uncomfortable with true silence. Like, have you ever just tried to sit by yourself somewhere for like 10 or 15 minutes in the Like, it, it gets uncomfortable. We're so used to noise in our lives. So I don't know where that place is for you. It could be, for me, it's my back porch. For maybe, maybe same for you. Maybe you have a closet that's very quiet in your house where the kids don't go very often. Maybe for you, it's getting up early before anybody else is up to bother you. Maybe it's driving to a quiet park, finding a warm rock on the river. I don't know where that is for you, but I, this really and truly means finding a quiet space and place. There's a hilarious story about uh, Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, who were two of the giants of the uh, Great American Awakening. Susanna had a bunch of kids. In fact, she had 19 kids, right? So she went playing around. She took the, she took the command to uh, multiply and fill the earth very seriously, God bless her. And, um, and so she notes that she found it virtually impossible to find any time for silence and solitude, even though she wanted, which that, well, you had 19 kids, bro. What did you think was gonna happen? And, um, but there's this amazing story where she, she would pull her apron up over her head and that would be the time where she would read her Bible and pray. And her kids knew, boy, when the apron goes over mama's head, that is her time with Jesus. Everybody better shut up and be quiet. So she got creative. You may have to get creative. I, I don't know what your apron is in your life, but that's your job to figure it out. Like you, you, you got no excuse. If Susanna Wesley can figure it out, you can figure it out as well. But here's the call. Carve out a place and a space, if not daily, listen guys, I'm begging you, if not daily, at least weekly, where you can sit in silence and slow your heart down enough to hear the still, small voice of your Father. And here's what that means practically. That means no Spotify, no earbuds, no, no worship music playing in the background. No family members unloading the dishwasher behind you. Nobody watching TV in the next room. This means complete external silence from other human beings. I mean, you can be outside and hear the birds and stuff like that. That's awesome. But other people, all that noise has got to go. This also means, secondarily, inner silence. Because how many of you know that it's absolutely possible to sit in silence and then still be stewing over the guy that cut you off in traffic? Right? Are replaying the argument that you had with a coworker or your roommate or your spouse and think about all the incredible things that you could have said in the moment to crush their souls and send them into therapy that you didn't think about. And so you're just kind of replaying these things. No, no, no. This is external silence and this is internal silence as well. And I, and I found that I, I really probably have to sit in silence for somewhere between 10 and 20 minutes before the internal dialogue slows down enough that I can begin to hear from the Lord. Now, maybe for you, it's immediate. For me, it takes, again, 10 to 20 minutes for all that stuff to kind of slow down, for my soul to rest enough to begin to hear from the Lord. So total silence, that's what this is talking about. Blaise Pascal says this, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. And I think there's a lot of depth and a lot of truth to that. So that's silence. What about solitude? Solitude, this is what solitude is. Solitude is when you are alone with God and your own soul. 
physically alone with God in your own. So this is not quiet time with your spouse over coffee in the morning. This is not meeting a friend at Starbucks to study scriptures and have a time. Those are great things. I hope you pray with your spouse and your friends at Starbucks and all that kind of stuff. That's awesome. That's not what solitude is. Solitude is being alone with God and your own soul. It's physical separation from other people for the purpose of connecting more deeply with God. And Jim Elliott, the uh, missionary to the Aka tribe in the Amazon, said this. I think this is really good. He said, I think the devil has made it his business to monopolize on three elements, noise, hurry, and crowds. Satan is quite aware of the power of silence. And before we close, I want to give you just a few benefits that you can expect to experience in your spiritual journey if you begin to practice, if you're not already practicing, the, the, the disciplines of silence and solitude. And I also want to give you some things that you can expect to experience if you neglect the disciplines of silence and solitude. So two lists on the screen for you. We'll talk through them really quickly. We're almost done. Benefits you can expect to experience if you practice silence and solitude on a regular basis. One is physical and spiritual renewal. Now, I can't explain it, but as I've incorporated some of these practices into my own spiritual journey, not only have I sensed a spiritual renewal in my soul, there's actually been a calming sensation and a healing sort of um, experience for my body, man. I just, I feel better. I feel healthier. I feel more in tune with my body and my spirit and my soul in my relationship with the Father through the Holy Spirit. Uh, there, there's even scientific research that's coming out, different studies. And, uh, that, of course, they don't call it silence and solitude. They call it things like meditation. Uh, the, most, uh, most, the more common term now is, is mindfulness, right? So you hear that in a lot of like new agey, yoga-ish circles. Uh, and all these studies are coming out showing that these things have a positive impact, not only in our mental health, but our physical health, right? So they're just now discovering what... Jesus was talking about thousands of years ago. So I always love it when science catches up with the Bible. Um, second benefit you can expect to experience if you practice this is spiritual clarity. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one, um, but there have been times and seasons of my life where I really struggle to hear the voice of God. And I really struggle to determine what his will is. Do I go left? Do I go right? Do I go up? Do I go down? How do I handle this situation? And oftentimes, in my experience, man, we have, we've just so cluttered up our lives and we're so busy and our lives are so noisy that we've drowned out the voice of God and we can't hear from him anymore. And it's only as we begin to reinstitute the habits of Jesus in our life that all of a sudden, aha, now I'm reconnected to the Father through the Spirit and I can hear his voice again and now I'm getting spiritual clarity on what I should do with this situation at work or school or this relationship or whatever it is. So that's a benefit, spiritual clarity. Uh, another benefit is freedom from negative thought loops. So uh, Scott talked about this a few weeks ago. Many of us have these negative thought loops in our minds. It's either uh, negative things about ourselves or negative things about what we think God thinks about us or whatever it is. And this allows us to pause and slow down enough to begin to identify the lies of the enemy and begin replacing those lies with the promises and truths of God's word, right? So it allows us to break out of some of these negative thought loops. And then finally, a benefit that you can expect if you begin to practice silence and solitude is it really opens us to hear the whisper of God's Spirit. Now, I, I've talked to some of you. There are very few Christians I know 
who have had an experience where you have literally audibly heard the voice of God, and I've always been so jealous of you guys because, like, man, I want to I wanna hear the audible voice of God. Um, but in my experience, um, that is not the primary way that God speaks to his children. It is usually a very still, a very quiet voice. And if we never slow down enough and quiet our minds and our thoughts and our environments enough, then we can live frustrated lives feeling like we're separated from God and we're not hearing from him when actually he's there and he's desiring to speak to us and communicate with us the whole time. Now, so, so those are some of the benefits you can expect. Now, here's what happens when you neglect these practices in your life. And I, a lot of these I could just amen to from personal experience. You'll relate to some of these if you're not currently practicing silence and solitude. But the first thing is that you begin to feel distant from God. Anybody ever been there? Like, man, I'm a Christian. I know I gave my life to Christ. I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. Like, I'm doing, I'm doing all the things. Like, my checklist looks pretty darn good. And yet, on the inside, man, I just feel this chasm, like this relational chasm between me and God. Have you ever been there? Man, like, I have. And I think one of the reasons, I think the, the first question I would ask somebody now, if they came to me and said, Chris, I just, I feel distant from God. My first question for them would be, when's the last time you practiced silence and solitude? And my guess is for like 99.9% of them, the, the answer would be either never or not in a long time. And that would be my number one prescription for Christians that are struggling, feeling like they're disconnected from God. Second thing that will happen to you if you neglect silence and solitude is that you will become preoccupied with the world. Here's the reality. All of us worship something in our hearts. All of us chase something in life. And when we stop worshiping our creator and we stop chasing hard after Jesus, other things are gonna seep into our lives and fill that gap. And for most of us, they're things of the world. Not necessarily even bad things, they're just worldly things, right? They're, 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 they're cheap imitations and substitutes for a relationship with God. So you'll become more and more preoccupied with the world and the things of the world if you're not practicing these disciplines. Number three is you'll notice you become more irritable, right? So you're just, man, you're shorter with your spouse, you're, you're quicker to anger with your kids or your co- I mean, not that I ever struggle with being irritable, but like some of y'all sinners, I hear y'all struggle with that, right? So that could be a pattern in your life. When you start to notice this pattern emerge in your life, your first question should be, am I practicing silence and solitude? And for me, the answer is always no. I'm neglecting it. And that's why I'm irritable. Uh, the, the, the next thing that, that happens in your life when you begin to neglect silence and solitude is that you can live a frustrated life. Right? Have, have you ever been there, man? Like you, you just look at your life, you're like, on paper, I should be content. Like God has blessed me with whatever, X, Y, Z, a family, a spouse, kids, a house, car, a job, a good school, whatever. Like on paper, Man, I should be on cloud nine, but I'm just like, I'm living in a sense of like perpetual frustration and I don't know why. And it doesn't even logically make sense why I'm frustrated. Again, my first question to a Christian experiencing that would be, when is the last time you practice silence and solitude? And again, without fail, probably the answer is gonna be not in a long time. And then last one, maybe most important, when you neglect these disciplines, you become disconnected from your purpose. Now, this is really big, especially among the younger generations today. Man, there's this, this disconnect from purpose. 
And when we're disconnected from our purpose, man, we wander into all kinds of like madness and we end up confused and we end up chasing things that promise us life but deliver us death, anxiety, depression, all these things. We're all hardwired to only function and really flourish as we walk in the purpose that God has for us. But when we're not hearing from his voice because our lives are so busy and so noisy, it's so easy to become disconnected from our purpose. And then we end up frustrated and irritable and all these kinds of things that just kind of plague our lives that Jesus never intended uh, for us to live, live out. So are you guys seeing kind of the, import, the importance of this? Are you guys seeing what's at stake here? Like, like spiritually speaking, this is, this is life and death level stuff. Literally, your spiritual life, your spiritual health and vitality depends on you adopting the habits of Jesus. Friend, we must, we must recapture these ancient rhythms that followers of Jesus have practiced for centuries before us. In the Gospels, Jesus extends an invitation that goes like this. The the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give them life and to give it to them abundantly abundantly now church family man I, I don't know about you but man man, I want I want all of that like I, I want all the abundance I don't, I don't want just like part of the abundance I don't want just like a spiritual high once a month when I go to a spiritual retreat like, I don't want a piece of it I don't want a part of it like I, I want all of the abundant life that Jesus has set out for me And I'm so tired of settling for some counterfeit or lesser version of what Jesus has for me as his son and as his follower. Now, I I just know what some of you probably are thinking right now as we talk about this practice of silence and solitude. Some of you gotta be thinking, Chris, that sounds great for you. You get paid to be spiritual. Fair. Chris, that sounds great for like, next level Christians like Billy Graham and Mother Teresa, but bro, I'm busy. I ain't got, I ain't got time for no silence or solitude, man. Don't you know I, I can't go to the bathroom for 10 seconds without my kids trying to beat down the door. You want me to carve out time for silence and solitude? Chris, I'm pulling a double shift at work just so I can pay my rent. I'm caring for my aging parents. I'm a student in middle school, high school, college, man, and it's all I can do to keep up with my coursework and apply for the the colleges that I want to get into. Plus, Chris, I'm not a weirdo introvert like you. Like, I actually like being around people. It's hard for me to be alone. And I know you got a million different excuses, and some of them are really good. But I want you to hear me say this clearly, and then we're done, all right? You ready? Just three words. So this is your application point. Here it is. You need this. Let me say that again. You need this. Extrovert in the room, life of the party, type A personality. You need this. Young mom, just chasing after kids, running a million miles an hour. You need this students middle school high school college just burn out on schoolwork and papers and trying to get into colleges listen to me students you need this 
professional in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, trying, trying hard to achieve and climb the corporate ladder. You need this. Retired person entering into a brand new season of life. Y'all help me say it now. You need this. Friends, this is not optional. If you want to thrive in your spiritual walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me finish with a big idea that we started with. This will be on the screens for you again, but this time I want you to help me say it. On the count of three, we're going to read it together, okay? One, two, three. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the practices of Jesus. And that's the deal. Now, let me just say quickly, I know every single week we have people in the room watching online who are not yet followers of Jesus. You're on the fence, you're kicking the tires, whatever it is. Uh, super happy that you're here. We want this to uh, be a warm, welcoming place, a safe place for you. We're happy that you're here. But here's what I want you to know. If you're not yet um, in on this whole Jesus thing, I want you to know that this invitation into abundant life is on the table for you. Like there's a, there's, there's a seat at the table for you. And I don't know what your excuses are. And I'm, again, I'm sure you got a thousand reasons why it wouldn't work for you or you don't believe this or that. I'm just telling you, the path to abundant life is found in one place only and through one person only, and his name is Jesus. And the only way that you're gonna find this abundant life is as you surrender your life to him and make him the king of your life. As you get off the throne of your life and you give him his rightful place in the throne of your life. And so if you've never done that, if you've never pledged your allegiance to King Jesus, you've never started that spiritual journey, uh, man, I want to invite you to do it today. Today's a great day to start that journey. We're going to sing in a minute. I'm going to be right up front. We're going to have some other uh, folks up here to pray with you. If you're online, you can reach out to your chat host. Man, it would make our year to get to pray with you and let you know how you can begin that journey with Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. Uh, band, you guys can go ahead and, and come on up. We're almost done. Now, here, here, here's the problem with giving me a summer off. Um, I'm going to have homework for you each week for the next five weeks, Okay. Some of you are like, never let him go on sabbatical again. So here's, here's homework assignment number one this week. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is one hour of uninterrupted, consistent, consecutive time of silence and solitude this week. Meaning, you don't get 10, days to, 10 minutes tomorrow, 10 minutes on Tuesday, and by the end of the week, you got 60 minutes. No, no, this is one block of time. And you're allowed two things for this time away. A Bible, and I'm not talking about an app on your phone. I'm talking about a real physical, you know, one of those things where it has like paper and like words written on it. And you can read it and it's actually a Bible, like one of those. They don't ding or buzz. They're awesome. I highly recommend them. So you can have one of those in a journal, like, a old, like something that you actually write with, preferably not anything electronic. One hour of silence and solitude with God. No noise. Not with your roommate or your spouse or your little kid running around. One hour all by yourself. No noise, no Spotify, no worship music, no noise, nothing. And here's the challenge. Just see what God whispers to your soul. Just see what God does in your heart. Early this summer, right before I left for sabbatical, our staff did this as a practice. And I just want to share a little bit about that time or that, that hour away. Uh, first of all, I got up super early before anybody in my family was up 
And I brewed a cup of coffee and I went out on the back porch uh, while it was still dark. And I had my Bible, a physical Bible that doesn't buzz or ding or anything like that. And a a journal notebook. And I actually tore out a piece of my, my journal from that day. And I sat out there and here's my confession to you. Maybe this will be something that you experience. For the first 20 minutes, it was torture. I was so bored and I was so anxious. And I was like, this is gonna be the longest hour of my life. This is a terrible idea. And, and, and I kid you not, no fewer than half a dozen times, I reached for my phantom phone. I just, I wasn't even thinking about it. It was just subconscious. Like, man, I gotta check my email. I need to check my text message. You know, I got this meeting coming up. And so it was just like constant for about 20 minutes before my heart settled enough and my soul rested enough to stop reaching for my stinking phone. And as I sat out there, man, the first 20 minutes were torture. The last 10 minutes, I I didn't want it to end. And maybe that will be your experience as well. But I sat out there and, man, the bird, did did y'all know birds sing? Like, it's been so long. Like, I'm like, dang, I I haven't stopped to just notice that, man, there's a symphony in nature, like, every single morning. Man, this is like, the creation is worshiping the creator. And I was like, my mind was blown by this. And then I opened up Psalm 119 and I started reading a few verses and I'd meditate on it. And the, word would, the Lord would kind of give me a word or a thought and I would just write it down whether it made sense or not. And, and again, by the end of it, man, I was like emotional. And I'm not like an emotional dude. I was like wiping the tears from my eyes, you know. I'm like, yeah, this is, this is crazy. Like, why haven't I been doing this? And so just as I wrote some things down, I want to share with you guys some things that I, I wrote down as I journaled. Um, for that hour of silence and solitude. I wrote, as the bird symphony was just kind of like mesmerizing, that I wrote, the heavens declare your glory, God. My mind is busy, but God, yours is calm. I'm in a hurry, but God, you're not. And I noticed on the hill, there was this tree that was like half of it was alive and half of it was dead. I feel like God gave me this insight. I just wrote, The line between spiritual health and spiritual death is narrow. We choose which path we end up on, but even spiritually diseased lives are restored by God. He never abandons me, Psalm 119.8. The Lord's ways lead me to life. His light shines through the dark clouds of my mind. The sun and his angels watch over me. I need unhurried time to slow my thoughts and still my heart before the Lord. I long to be in your presence. I miss you. And I felt like God met me in that moment in the silence of that place and began to heal things that were broken in my heart and my soul. And so I just want to encourage you. I want to extend the invitation from Jesus to you this morning. Would you carve out, and I know it's hard, I know you're busy. Would you carve out an hour of silence and solitude just to commune with your Father who loves you and I believe wants to speak life into your soul? Let's pray, and then we're going to worship him. Father, we, we come to you, and uh, I think for most of us, our confession would have to be, for sure, my personal confession would have to be that uh, so, so often I allow the noise of this world and the hurriedness of my life and schedule to drown out the most important thing in my life, and that's my connection to you, my creator. so God would you forgive us would you God would you forgive me for not prioritizing 
the one source of life and hope and renewal that's available to me in this world, and that's my relationship with you through your son Jesus, empowered by your Holy Spirit living within me. God, thank you for being a relational God. Thank you that you didn't just create us and then stand back and observe that you're actively, intricately involved in your creation and even in the details of our lives and that your heart's desire is to commune with us. Like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, you want a relationship with me? You want me to know, know you? And you want to heal things in my heart and make me a better man and a better husband and father and pastor and just forgive me God for neglecting that thank you for loving us enough to come on a rescue mission to save us God and thank you for Jesus thank you for his life lived on our behalf we thank you for his death that paid for our sins so that we could be made right with you Thank you for his resurrection that makes this whole abundant life thing possible through him. God, help us not neglect that anymore. Help us step into the purpose that you have for us as your sons and your daughters. And we pray all these things. In your powerful name, Jesus, amen.